we are continuing our series through Revelation, and we have now reached Revelation chapter four. Uh, and Revelation chapter four is really the beginning of this grand vision that John has. And to begin, I want us to think about a time when maybe you have anticipated moments in your life. Just how you anticipate, like you couldn't sleep the night before. You're just you're just playing ways that you might the, the event might play out just maybe it was a, a trip to the Grand Canyon maybe it was a performance that you had to put on um maybe it was just being able to one knowing that you're going to meet maybe your hero one day the next day right I, and just have you have you ever anticipated a moment so eagerly that when the moment came you just you broke down um, I, I remember um I remember that I, I really enjoyed listening to Hamilton when it first came out years ago. And I listened to it just over and over again, but it took me about five years before I actually watched the musical. Um, but I like listened to it a lot that I just, I, I just knew all the tracks, I knew the lyrics and I was, I had it in my head, but I've always imagined it. I never dared watch any of the YouTube clips of it. I wanted to, I wanted to watch it. This live version for the first time fresh. And I remember the time when if Hamilton Valley came to LA um, and me and my friends bought tickets. And I was so excited. And I remember just once the first once the first beat hit, the curtains opened, the first beat hit. I remember I just started crying. <laughs> it was just, it was it was kind of crazy. And so I mean, it was just because I was just anticipating the moment so much, I just couldn't believe I was finally watching Hamilton. Uh, have you guys ever experienced a moment like that where you just anticipated something so much, you wanted to see something so much, to meet this person so badly, and when it happened, you just you just melted down. That's what this vision must have been like for the Apostle John. When we read in Revelation chapter four, we read about this grand vision of the heavenly throne room. I can't imagine how the Apostle John may have just simply melted down at this scene. The Apostle John, who wrote the book of Revelation, he was the one whom Jesus loved. He was a disciple of. He was a disciple who walked with Jesus. He's the one who Jesus told him to take care of her, of her mother, Mary. And, and, and this disciple, John, the apostle, he was the longest living one out of all the disciples. Out of the 12 disciples, he lived the longest. He actually did not die as a martyr. He died in exile of old age. And so you can imagine him, the last living disciple, alone on an island, exile. You must be wondering. Because all the disciples were wondering this at, at some time. When will Jesus come back? When will Jesus come back? Will he be back anytime soon? And he's anticipating that moment. He's waiting for that moment because Jesus promised that he will return the same way he ascended up to heaven. And I can't imagine how he anticipated this and God gave him this spiritual vision. This vision of heaven. And his heart must have exploded at the scene of this. And that's what we'll see. And so take your Bibles, turn me to Revelation chapter four. Revelation chapter four, and I pray that as we take a look at this vision, our hearts will be filled up the same way. 
Now, as we come to this passage, we will see just how spectacular, how awesome, how majestic God, our God, our personal God truly is. As we will see in Revelation chapter 4, the scene here is focused upon the throne. The throne of God. The throne stands as the center of everything that's going on in the scene. And in fact, the chapter 4 refers to the throne 11 times alone. Within these 11 chapters, it refers to the throne 11 times. And in fact, the, the throne of God is a, is a major theme throughout Revelation. It's referred to 47 times in the entire book. But here, specifically, especially, in Revelation chapter 4, we will see just how central the throne of God is. So let's read this passage together. Revelation chapter 4, starting in verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I have heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And seated on the thrones were 24 elders, clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they existed and were created. In this passage, we will come to see how the throne stands central. And I divided up this passage in three parts. Things always be three points in my sermons. In any case, we, the first thing we will see here is the one who is seated on the throne. The one who is seated on the throne. And we see here that in this vision, it begins with the phrase after this. In NASB, uh, I'm reading ESB here, it says after this, but the direct translation is actually after these things, this pearl. And it's referring to, to what was being addressed to the seven churches in chapters two and three. And so some commentators, some theologians might take a look at this. I just want to kind of explain to you what's going on here. Some people might 
think about this vision as the second vision. The, the vision, the, the address to the churches was the first vision. Um, chapter one may have been the first vision. And then this year talks about the second vision. Others look at this more chronologically. They see the address to the seventh church as representing the church age, the age we are in now. And then this here represents the next age right after that. Meaning they would argue that this scene that John sees is when all believers are raptured and they're now before the throne. I don't necessarily take that view, but I'll get more to that next time um, I come up here and speak about the rapture and um, and, the, and all what all this is referring to. But I just want to kind of give you out there what's going on here. But what we can take away here is that this is indeed a vision given to John, and it's a grand vision. And John here was given the spiritual vision, meaning he was lifted up in the spirit. This is not him being taken up physically, but this is him having this vision spiritually. Now, we don't know exactly what this is like, but we do know that this is not the first time someone in the Bible has been taken up spiritually to see this vision of God. In fact, John here seems to be given the, a spiritual vision of the heavenly throne that's in line with some of the Old Testament prophets, as, such as Isaiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Each of, each of those prophets were, were given this grand vision of the heavenly throne. And what John saw here, as we just read, when John saw heaven, the first thing he saw was a throne. And on that throne sat God. The throne was not empty. This must have been a huge sense of joy, huge sense of relief, a huge sense of comfort for John. Because that means God is still reigning. That God is still king. That God is still sovereign over all things. All right, this is this is this is reassurance for John. This is reassurance for us. This is as if you you know drove out of your garage and you are wondering to yourself, did I close it? Did I close the garage? And you have to go turn around, double check it, comfort yourself. In the same way, seeing this vision must have comforted John. Knowing that God indeed is still reigning, his plan is still going, nothing deters him. God here is in his full sovereignty and full majesty. And this is amazing. When we see here the description that John gives, I mean, this, this, is just, this is just amazing how God is being described here. He says, he who sat there, verse 3, he who sat there had an appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of emerald. And we see here the description, the illustrations of using all these royal, precious jewels, these stones that are invaluable, these stones that are bright in color, pure in their substance, these stones that just can't stop looking at. And these stones here, listed here in chapter 4, most likely anticipates the foreliness of these stones that we will see later in Revelation chapter 21 in the new creation, where in the new heaven and earth, when the kingdom of God is, re is established here on earth, and it's said that there are these precious stones all over the place. What we see here is, is as if John is beholding something new. Beholding something beautiful, he can't take his eyes off of it. 
I mean, how many, how many of you guys have gotten like a new shiny toy? Uh, uh, I, I don't know what it may be. I remember when I bought my espresso machine, I couldn't stop looking at it. You know, I just wanted to keep it pristine, right? Just cleaned it all the time after each use. You know, I just, just wanted to keep it in that, that shiny mode. And you just, you know, I, can, I want to be able to brush my teeth in front of it. Um, it's just, it just like you, you just can't stop looking at something when it's beautiful, when it's new, when it's shiny and it's, and it's just, it's just pure. Perfect in every way. Can you imagine how God is like that forever, for eternity? How He is something to behold and we can't take our eyes off Him. And they will be, every time we look at Him, it's like I said, we saw Him for the first time. That's what's being displayed here. That's what's being shown to us here. It says here also that there is this rainbow around the throne. And in a rainbow, it, it it could possibly mean it could be possibly referring back to us, back to the Noah covenant. Because in the Noah covenant, what happened there was that God flooded the earth, right? He flooded the earth, destroyed all mankind except for one family on the ark, Noah, his family. And he saved them, saved you know, two every time animals, and brought them back to land as the water receded. And theologians call this a destruction and new creation. And then this model just kind of continues throughout scripture. Destruction because of sin, new creation by God is part of his, the way he restores everything. Perhaps a rainbow appears here because this is anticipating the final destruction of this world in Revelation. The final destruction in the new creation happening in chapter 20 and 21. Whatever the case is, we see here that God reigns and God has a plan and was about to unfold throughout Revelation, was about to unfold centers around God and his throne. He is indeed in the middle of it all. It is his reign that will come to full fruition. It is his eternal kingdom that will be fully established Sin will be destroyed, death will be overcome, and righteousness will, be, will rule forever. And God is the cause of all that. It is God who judges, it is God who saves, it is God who protects, and it is God who will recreate everything anew. Everything centers around God who sits on the throne. And then we see, starting with verse 4, the scene around the throne. And the scene here first shows us that there's these 24 elders seated on these 24 thrones. And these elders here represent redeemed humanity. Redeemed humanity, or in other words, believers. But I call it redeemed humanity because we see here that they are clothed in white garments and they're given these golden crowns on their head, most likely the crown of life as promised in scripture. This, these, this is redeemed humanity. They have reached their glorified state. Now, some say there's 24 of them because it represents 24 tribes of Israel plus 24 apostles. So the Old Testament believers and New Testament believers together making 24. Um, I'm not too sure about that. If that is the case, sure, that's fine. What we do see here is that these are indeed men representing mankind. They are represent, they're representative leaders of redeemed humanity. They're called elders. So they they're indeed leaders in essence. 
so they represent who we will become. Then it says here, verse five, that there's flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. There's these fire, seven torches of fire. And the, the lightning, the thunder, the fire represent the power of God. The power of God that comes from the throne, right? Notice again how the throne here is centered. It's from the throne, the source. These, this power comes out. In other words, God's reign is not a false reign, right? He's not a puppet ruler. A, a puppet ruler is one who just simply sits there, but someone else really pulls all the strings. God, no, he sits on a throne and he has the power and sovereignty over all things. He is the true ruler, the true king. We see here that from the throne, we, we have flash of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, and we have these seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God, representing seven being a perfect number, representing the Holy Spirit coming out of God. And many times the Holy Spirit is coming and describing the scriptures, coming in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit moving all, all of God's plan, all of God's will forward towards this final redemption. Spirit is moving now in us. He dwells in you. This power of God dwells in each one of you who proclaims Christ as Lord and Savior. Recognize that this power sits in your heart. And then it says in verse 6, that before this throne, there was, as it were, a sea of glass, like crystal, meaning what, he see, what, what John sees is still water. As if it's frozen in place. And the sea of glass here represents the peaceful reign of God. Because water in scripture, the, the, the rolling waters, the waves, the storms that come throughout scripture typically represents judgment and destruction. Right? Think about the flood, think about the Red Sea, think about Jonah um, and him being cast off the boat. Um, and think about Jesus calming the sea, it, it typically represents this chaos that's around us, destruction. But God's reign here is peaceful. God's reign here is comforting. He is in such control that there is no chaos. There's order, righteous order. What we see here is that God's reign introduces peace, a it introduces and tells us that God is indeed sovereign and nothing can throw him off his throne. And then we reach this interesting part of the vision. It says around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures. Four living creatures. Now, who are these creatures? Well, if you take your Bible, if you turn with me, turn me to Ezekiel, it's rather than me just trying to describe them Tell them who you are. Let's actually see how scripture tells us what these four creatures are. Turn me to Ezekiel chapter 1. And I'm just going to read from verse 4 to 25, long passage, but I'm just going to read it and you'll see who these four creatures are. Ezekiel chapter 1, starting in verse 4, this is the vision given to Ezekiel. And he saw these four same creatures. Let's take a look. 
Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 4. As I looked, and behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, and each, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their other feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and on the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. <clears throat> Sorry. And their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, and the four had the face of the ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out, out above. Each creature had two wings, each, with, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies. And each went straight forward. Wherever the spirit would go, they went, without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro from living creature, from among the living creatures. And the fire was bright, and out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro, like the appearance of the flash of lightning. Now, as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance were, was like the gleaming of barrel, and the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being as it were a wheel within a wheel. And when they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And their rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the spirit wanted to go, they went, and the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. When those went, they went. And when those stood, these stood. And when those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Verse 22, over the heads of the living creatures, was there was a likeness of an expanse, shining with awe-inspiring crystals spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out straight, one toward one another. And each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went... I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings. And there came a voice from the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings. We see here just this grand picture. Pretty much the same picture given Ezekiel with more with more details, but the same picture given to Ezekiel was given to John. And we see how these four creatures were majestic creatures. They went to and fro under the direction of God. They did not deter from their direction. They went straight without turning. Wherever God sent them, they moved. They followed the spirits. 
And then in Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 20, we find out that these creatures are the cherubims of God. Ezekiel 10, verse 20 says, These were the living creatures that I saw underneath the God of Israel by the Shabar Canal, and I knew they were cherubims. So coming back into Revelation, we see here the same four living creatures. Now, John didn't describe the four faces. Instead, he saw each one of those four faces. Perhaps each one of them were turned differently towards him. But we see the same faces being described. One as a lion, one as a calf or an ox, one as an eagle, one as a man. And to be argued that these four living creatures represent all created beings. The lion representing wild beasts, the ox or the calf representing domestic animals, the eagles representing flying creatures, and the man representing the apex of all creation, the image of God. And what we get here around the throne of God here, we catch a glimpse of righteous order. We catch a glimpse of the king sitting on his throne. We catch a glimpse of his reign stemming out, producing peace and righteousness across the kingdom. We see the creatures surrounding the king, both man and these living creatures, all people, all creatures, giving God glory and praise. We see mankind, the 24 elders made righteous, the holy image of God perfected. In other words, we see really a glimpse of what the Garden of Eden was supposed to be like. This was this is an Edenic, Edenic scene here. This is what it's supposed to be before the fall. This is righteous order. God, as, a, as the sovereign key over all, man, perfect image of God, creatures, all of them worshiping God underneath man's rule, peace all around. This is what we desire to go back to. This is what sin has ruined. And then we see what these creatures are doing. We come to see the activity before the throne. The activity before the throne, we see here that everything here culminates into worship. To worship directed to the God Almighty, the one who sits on the throne forever and ever. We see here that the cherubims and the, the elders never ceased to worship God. The cherubim cries out in verse in verse 8, holy, 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 three times holy, representing this perfection, this utmost holiness that no one else can stand next to God. He stands alone. He stands unique. He stands separate from everything else. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And, and we get this glimpse of a God who... His greatness and majesty is unmatched. The elders bow down. They worship him. It says they cast their crowns before the throne. 
They cast their crowns because they recognize that their own honor, their own reward, their own righteousness is meaningless before God. God's worth surpasses all that they have, even these righteous crowns of life that they received from Jesus. See, their focus was not on their own righteousness. Their focus is rightly fixated upon God. These elders cast their crowns and they cry out, verse 11, worthy are you, our Lord and God. And the word worthy, it's really what the word worship comes from. It's worth. God is worthy. We're giving him worth. That's worship. That's God here is worthy of all glory, honor, and power. All worship belongs to him. Why? Because he created all things. All things existed because of him. We see throughout this scene that there is a clear distinction between God, the uncreated one, and the creatures around his throne. What we see here is that God reigns gloriously above all creation. He is holy. He, God is. He's uncreated. He's the only one here who's described as was, is, and is to come. What that means is that God simply exists. There is no beginning. There is no end. God is. That's who he is. He's eternal. He's timeless. God exists. Everything else here in this scene was created. Everything else in this scene had a beginning. Everything else in this scene has no match compared to God, the uncreated one. This is how awesome our God is. And that's why all the creatures here give him the worship. And that's the activity that we will be doing for all eternity. We will be beholding God, the uncreated one, the eternal one, the ancient of days. We will be beholding him. And every single time we look upon that throne, we will be in awe of who he is. That's awesome. So we see this grand scene here. Let's talk a little bit about why. What's the point of this? Why did God reveal this scene to John? Why show him this grand vision? What is the purpose behind this? What is the context? Well, the vision of the throne, as I mentioned before, appears different times throughout Scripture. And every time the vision of the throne room appears, it comes during times. It comes during times of uncertainty and chaos. And and we see this throughout the prophets. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see how Isaiah saw the throne of God. He fell down and cried, woe is me. And that happened. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, on the year that King Uzziah died, there was uncertainty and chaos going on. The same thing for Ezekiel and Daniel when they received their vision. They were in exile. They were, Israel was gone, scattered throughout the Babylonian Empire. Jerusalem was empty, desolated, destroyed. What is going on? In fact, let us think about Ezekiel for a moment, because since Revelation chapter 4 has so much of what Ezekiel saw. 
Ezekiel was a prophet during the exile. And he too saw this throne room. If you want to turn back with me to Ezekiel, we're looking at chapter one. We see here after the after the vision of the four living creatures, we see how Ezekiel also saw the throne of God. Ezekiel chapter one, verse 26 says, and above the expanse over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne and appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with human appearance. And upward from what had been, upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw as it were gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw it were the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him, like the appearance of the of the bowl that of the bowl that's in the cloud on the day of rain. So was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. In this one little passage here in Ezekiel chapter one, we see that the Rome room, we see the exact same description going on. And we have here that this all this is appearance, all this appearing likeness, meaning God is this, God is simply revealing himself to us, to Ezekiel, and in a way that he can actually describe it. But it's not really who God is. This is just God showing us what he's going to show us, helping us understand who he is. And so he uses these uses this appearance of a man, appearance of a, of a waste of all these things, but this is just simply how God chose to reveal to us, choose to command, to communicate to us. But all of this was given to Ezekiel during a time of exile for the purpose of presenting the glory of God. The glory of God as a center of all the events that unfolds. Of everything that happens in history, the glory of God is in the center of it all. That this is all about him. This is all about God and his glory, all about his holy name. That God is in the center of everything. Ezekiel saw this and he wanted to tell Israel, to tell the Jewish people who were in exile, saying, God is in the midst of it all. And you're suffering in your exile, even in your repentance. And in your hope for restoration, whatever it is that you're hoping for in life, whatever it is that you're going through in life, God is in the center. And this is made so clear later on in Ezekiel chapter 36. Chapter 36, verse 22, where God says this, talking to Israel, it says, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am bound to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which have been profaned among the nations, which and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. We see in this one, these two verses, that God does everything to vindicate his name. Whatever he's doing to Israel at that time, he was doing it so that all nations, the entire world will know him, will know his holy name. Meaning God is not just a king over his people. God is king over this world. He wants all people to know him. In the same way God does that for us. 
God was doing that for John. When John was given this revelation, the early church was going through a major persecution. Right? The early church was being scattered across the known world. In fact, during this time when John received his revelation, it was most likely after the destruction of Jerusalem in the temple in AD 70. There was chaos. There was confusion. We didn't, John didn't know where the church was going to go. Believers were scattered everywhere. John then received his vision, a vision of God sitting on the throne, still reigning, and his glory will not be denied. This throne vision remains as a picture of hope and joy. Hope and joy so that we, as believers, can eagerly await the coming of the King. I mean, this is, should be encouraging for us, comfort for us. This should be strength for us. But we today are going through uncertainty and instability. And we take a look at the news around us and we see just how this world is constantly being rocked constantly by different events, rocked by tragedy, rocked by riots, protests, war, murder. We see how there's constant uncertainty around us. There's even uncertainty within each of us individually. Think about our emotions. Think about our mental states. Think about how we sometimes go through life and we face such similar chaos in our own hearts and we're unsure about our futures we're just trying to get by each day and we're not too sure where god is taking us we don't know what our next step always will be as we live in these kind of times as we live in this kind of state and we take a look at this vision we see god sitting there reigning and his power flowing out from the throne, a power that surges through all of us. And God says, I know you, and I have a plan for you, and I will walk with you through all, all the stages of life, through the ups and downs. I'll be there for you. And yes, there may be times when trials may be hard, but you must remember that's all for your good and for my glory. I will indeed walk with you in every way. And this is awesome. Think about this scene that's given to us here. The scene that's written down in Holy Scripture for us, a scene of heaven where God is simply sitting on his throne, and we get to take a we get to see a picture of that. Marvel at the scene, marvel at the beauty of God. Think about how God is there, how God is sovereign, how God is powerful. This is a rock, our rock, that gives us peace, contentment, and joy. And what do we all long for? What are we pursuing? Think about what we, what we're just, what we, what we, what we long for, what we want, what we desire. We, in the midst of chaos, we simply want rest, don't we? 
We want peace, restoration. We want purpose, identity. Notice here that God gives us all that in the scene. When we see God, we see how rest, true rest comes from him. When we look at God, we see how true identity comes from him. When he wipes us clean, he makes us righteous. We see here when God sits on his throne, all things are in the right place. Everything's in perfect order. There is peace across the land. There is peace in our hearts as well. This is amazing. And so let's behold this scene. Let's behold God sitting on his throne. Let us remember to keep our eyes fixed upon this because as the world around us continues to promise us these treasures, these earthly treasures that fade away, remember that, that God, the eternal God, who was and is and is to come, remains constant forever. His treasure will never fade. His value remains in the infinite most worth, and he is worthy of all of our praise. Let us worship him. Let us know him. Let us see him. Let us continue to come before the throne and praise his name. And as we come before the throne, let us also remember that we are there, that we are able to get the glimpse of this vision, that we are able to anticipate this with hope, all because of what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we, we don't deserve this. That when we are able to see this picture of God and come to his throne, we recognize that we are unfilthy, that we are unrighteous, filthy, rebellious sinners. We would be like Isaiah who says, woe is me. And yet, God sent his son to die on the cross, to rise up on the third day so that we can have hope, so that we can have entrance into this temple of our world. That we can be saved and usher into his glory. His glory for us to behold, his majesty that we get to enjoy for all eternity. Let us continue to worship God, this picture in mind. He is indeed beautiful and awesome. So, the big idea for this sermon. To worship the eternal God Almighty, who reigns from his throne above all creation. This is our God. It's our King. What a joy it is to be his people. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace that brings us to your throne that ushers us into glory, that brings us face to face with our Savior, that allows us to sing praise to you, that allows us to see that the greatest purpose that we have in life, the greatest fulfillment and joy we can have is worshiping you, seeing your praise, to be in relationship with you. But, what a joy it is, Lord, to behold you on your throne, to see your sovereignty. Let us trust you every step of the way in our lives. That Lord, I pray for everyone here, whatever struggles they may be going through, whatever 
just hardships they may be currently facing. I pray, Lord, that you will walk beside them, that you'll remind them that you continue to reign over this earth and in their hearts, and that in you they can find joy and contentment, they can find peace, they can find strength to face their trials. I pray, Lord, that the church, which is also a gift from you, will walk beside them. That each one of us will help one another to bear each other's burdens, to comfort one another, and to continue to journey together on this pathway towards you, towards this throne. And I pray, Lord, that we will indeed come humbly before you, recognizing that you are indeed the eternal one, the Alpha and the Omega, that we are nothing. And so we worship you, who's worthy of all praise. I pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen.